It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball, brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. This is Josh Lewin, alongside the highly respected baseball insider that joins us each week, John Heyman. We're bringing you insight into the top storylines across Major League Baseball. We have a lot of fun doing it. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Ross Atkins, the general manager of the Blue Jays, is on with us this week. Mets radio announcer Wayne Randazzo is on with us this week. Big Time Baseball, a part of Radio.com, allowing you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge. Hopefully you know that by now. And if you aren't following us yet on Twitter, hope you do that at RDC Sports. Be sure to subscribe to this particular podcast, Big Time Baseball, on iTunes or wherever you happen to get your podcast. So yes, on this edition, uh, Toronto GM Ross Atkins is now in charge of a fascinating team comprised of sons of former big league stars and Wayne Randazzo on the Mets radio team will try to make sense of how the Mets have had two long win streaks in the last two and a half weeks, and they've barged quite uninvited into the NL West or the NL uh, wildcard chase, I should say. And, and John, maybe that's a good place to start. The NL wildcard race is an anything-goes, madcap, chaotic, just pack of bumper cars here. It's seven teams bobbing and weaving for two available spots. And that is, to say, for the right to play each other and then go to Dodger Stadium in early October and face Hunjin Ryu in the sunshine and shadows. So is this a fool's errand, figuring out who gets the wild card spots? Or is there a team among these seven or even eight that could actually emerge as a real threat to an L.A. team that right now is close to 40 games over 500? Yeah, I'm not sure who can emerge as a threat, but it certainly is a fascinating race, and it's certainly worth keeping an eye on. I'd given up the Mets for dead uh, a month ago, and I'm not going to claim it's the peer pressure of Evan Roberts and Joe Beningo that did it. 
I looked at it dispassionately and said, this team just isn't very good. Their bullpen is terrible. Their defense is even worse. And I didn't think they can get back in. So now the Mets have joined and there's six or seven or even eight teams that are involved. And it's almost impossible to pick, but it's very, very interesting. One of the most interesting things in baseball, I still am going to be surprised if it's not the Dodgers coming out of the NL. I think the Dodgers and the Astros were the favorites to start the year. A lot's happened since then to them and to others, but I still think we're where we started and the Dodgers and the Astros remain the favorites. Let me get you back to talking NL East for just a second here, John. We, we hit on the Mets. Let me talk to you about Washington, assuming that their deadline acquisitions of Hudson and Elias and Strickland are enough to, to put in front of Sean Doolittle. And at the very least, you got to give Mike Rizzo credit for, for buying in bulk here. But they've still got a kind of a major to-do item to check off their list here. they got to get Max Scherzer 100%. And uh, I, I guess just kind of shrug off this whole narrative that Washington, when it counts, can't win. So where are you with Washington right now? I think they're likely to get in in the playoffs. I know it's hard to pick that right now because we've got six or seven or eight teams that have a possibility, and they're not that far in front. In fact, the other seven or eight teams are just uh, at their heels right now. The Nationals are in playoff position, but uh, it could go any way. I kind of think they're going to get in. I I think they have enough strengths. I know their bullpen has been been a big issue, uh, but I think they're going to make it. I keep hearing that they're a major threat because of their great rotation, uh, you know, I'm still not sure and not convinced about that. I'm concerned about their bullpen, but uh, obviously if you have Scherzer and obviously Strasburg and Corbin have been very good, uh, you have three great pitchers, but, uh, you know, I think it's over the idea of having a great rotation in the playoffs is a bit overrated. I know that may sound funny to people, but look, the Braves had a great rotation for about a decade. They only won one World Series. The Nats have certainly had a great front two uh, as they've gotten the playoffs a lot in recent years and they have not gotten out of the first round so i I don't want to overrate the idea of a a great rotation uh i do think they have some flaws i think they're going to make it but i'm worried about them getting out of the first round again you mentioned the braves a moment ago and since the all-star break a 6.9 bullpen era is second worst in baseball so they seem a little bit fallible but a team like philadelphia which you're, you're waiting for a run I just don't know if they got that in them. I mean, I was looking at this yesterday with, with all the, the firepower they're supposed to have, starting with Bryce Harper and, I mean, obviously Reese Hoskins and Real Muto. They've got nobody in the top 50 in the major leagues and runs scored. And they're coming off a four and five homestand before they went off to San Francisco and lost three out of four. I know this is not the team that Gabe Kapler thought he was going to have. They've been swamped by injuries. But do the Phillies have somehow some sort of seven out of eight or eight out of nine game pushing them. You know, I don't want to rule it out. I mean, they should be better than this. Uh, we felt that they were much improved coming into the year. I thought they were the winner of the winter, and uh, it really hasn't worked out that way. They were mildly improved. Obviously, the injury to McCutcheon has hurt. They've had a couple of other injuries. But as you pointed out, um, Josh, the, the hitting just has not been there. It's not been anything like what they expected. I mean, Bryce Harper's been good, but he certainly hasn't been $330 million good. Uh, Seguro's been okay. Uh, Real Muto's been okay. I know he was their all-star representative, but he really hasn't had the kind of year that you would expect him to have. 
Um, you know, I just don't see it in them right now. Uh, they do not look like a playoff team. They're right there, as almost everybody in the National League is. But uh, to me, they don't look like a playoff team. St. Louis, I think, is another team that has that kind of tenor to it, right? Just can't yeah, get a absolutely. big run going. Milwaukee, I mean, a rough year for Lorenzo Kane. They're kind of wasting Yelich's MVP caliber season. Although the Brewers have Washington uh, this week head-to-head, so maybe they can make up some wild-card ground, maybe. Uh, the Cubs, if we go to NL Central here, the Cubs have seven head-to-heads left against the Brewers, seven head-to-heads left against the Cardinals. So is it fair to say if the Cubs can just kind of get out of their own way, they should be okay? I, I think so. It feels like the Cubs are the best team. They're, if you look at the run differential, they should have a huge lead. That isn't the case right now. They have a, a small lead. You think they would hang on. Uh, obviously, they've got a, a very good rotation, especially with Darvish uh, pitching well. Uh, they now have some injuries in that pen that we were always worried about. But it feels like uh, they're going to win that division, or they should win that division. Uh, the Cardinals, to me, are confounding. Uh to me, they're an underachiever. I don't, I don't see it right now with them. And Milwaukee, I, I still think uh, the starting pitching is the real issue. Uh, Yelich has been fantastic. The back is a little bit worrisome, but assuming that's okay, I do like their offense a lot. Uh, concerned about their pitching too, but I, I, I'm with you. I think the Cubs are the team there. I'm going to pin you down in a second here for your two wild card picks. But before we get there, I, I want to mention NL West. And I know the Dodgers are so far out in front, we don't even have to talk about them. But Arizona and San Francisco, the Diamondbacks are kind of straddling the fence here between the rebuild and a push for the wild card spot. They're doing it without Granke, of course. The Giants have a, a minus 54 run differential right now. It's third worst in the National League, but they're in this pack of bumper cars and trying to give Bruce Bochy one more shot at some October magic here. So... Is Arizona a team that you're still looking at? Is San Francisco a team you're looking at? you got to look at everybody in the National League right now, uh, you know, except for the Marlins, I guess, uh, and maybe the Rockies. But uh, everybody else is still in it, in Pittsburgh, I guess. But uh, I- I'm looking at everybody. I think Arizona and San Francisco both did the right thing. I think Arizona uh, was smart to do the sell-off. I don't think San Francisco had a choice. Um you really couldn't uh, sell Mad Bum. You had to go for it the way the team was performing, the love of Mad Bum, and the fact that nobody wants to give up huge prospects. So I can't imagine that their offers were fantastic. I know Cleveland did well uh, with Bauer, and I know Arizona did well with Granke, but uh, from what I'm hearing, uh, the offers were not fantastic for Mad Bum. Obviously, the ask was very high. I don't think they ever got close. You know, I think they did the right thing, and they, they... also have done a nice job piecing things together with guys that you just didn't expect to be stars in a pennant race. Uh, Solano's done a terrific job. Yastrzemski's done a terrific job. Slater, um, you know, I give them credit for hanging in there. They're still a threat. Arizona's still a threat. Uh, They're probably better than their record, but I I think looking at dispassionately, uh, Arizona did the right thing, and I'll say the same thing about the Giants. All right, so now, and I'll give you mine, too, as we sort through, there's this huge pile of wildcard contenders. Who are the two that get through on September 30? As we sit here today, and I've changed this every week, I'm going to go with the Nats and the Mets. I think the Nats are probably the best team of the group, and I think the Mets are the hottest team. The Mets' schedule is getting harder now. I know that uh, it's been relatively light the last couple weeks, and they certainly have taken advantage uh, their schedule's getting harder, but I, it feels like they have the momentum to grab that second spot. So I, I think it is going to be two teams from the NL East at this point. 
I'm going to go Washington and St. Louis. I'd love to grab the Mets too, but I think you're right about the schedule. I think that that will trip them up, and I don't love their bullpen still. Uh, and the Cardinals, I just, I, if, if Goldie is Goldie and their bullpen holds up, I think they've got a little run in them. So, I mean, and I could be completely wrong, but I'm going to take Washington and St. Louis instead. Yeah, you would think St. Louis would have a run in them, right? I mean, they just haven't had anything great go on. Uh, Michaelis has not been the same. I think Flaherty is showing signs now of it, but the rotation isn't as great as we would have thought. Uh, I mean, Harrison Bader sent to the minors. Uh, Goldie got off to that slow start. He's now come on. Carpenter has struggled. Uh, it just feels like it's not their year, but, uh, you know, they're right there and uh, they have more talent than they've shown. So, uh, you know, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. Let me go AL with you here, John. And to me, what's so weird is you've got six, actually seven teams now that are kind of 70 wins plus. And the Boston Red Sox are not one of those teams. Boston is very close to a 500 team right now. And I think we all thought initially if everything broke correctly, it would be this amazing uh, kind of bob and weave here with, with the Yankees, the Rays, and the Red Sox all clumped together and who could emerge. I and mean, they'd all run within a game or two of each other all year. Well, the Yankees are eight up on Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay's eight up on Boston. I, it's much more of a spread than anybody thought. The Yankees look like they've got Tanaka back on track. They, they hit Gio Urshela cleanup, and everybody says that's just fine, and it is because uh, the Yankees are 77 and 41 as we record this. So, Everything going great for them. Tampa Bay is surging. They've won 10 out of 12. Kyle Yarbrough just gave them eight and two-thirds shutout innings, beat Seattle one to nothing. If the Rays get Blake Snell and Tyler Glasnow back in the rotation, could they make a run from eight back on the Yankees, or are the Yankees just going to win this division? Yeah, I think the Yankees are going to win this division. I've been... Uh, wrong on the Rays for probably a decade now. Uh, they always outperform what I'm thinking that they're going to do. They do a terrific job there, and uh, they certainly have a good shot at the playoffs. But, you know, I think that's their battle right now. I, I'd be surprised if they caught the Yankees. Uh, you know, it's certainly a, a big hill to climb. The Yankees have done a terrific job with their small pickups. Uh, Urshela and fantastic. Uh, Voight, before he got hurt, was great. Uh, DJ LeMayu, if that's a small pickup, incredible. An MVP candidate. And I say that with all sincerity. I know a lot of the staff people say it's definitely Trout, and it should, probably will be. But, I mean, LeMayu definitely deserves to be in the conversation at least. So I think the Yankees are going to hold on there. I, you know, Tampa, to me, their battles to get in. And that's not going to be easy because you got two great teams in the Central Cleveland and Minnesota are battling it out. I'm assuming one of them still makes it. And, you know, the Rays have to beat out Oakland. And uh, the A's are an incredible second-half team. And they are playing well. And uh, I, st- I kind of think the A's are going to make it again. I think they've been uh, good, and they're always good in the second half. We're going to talk to Ross Atkins in a little bit, the uh, general manager of the Blue Jays. And they've got a chance to really make some things difficult for some of these contenders. And just before we leave the AL East, I don't know why I feel compelled to talk about the other team, Baltimore. Maybe it's because they just had this weird comeback against the Astros to beat them, <laughs> walk them off after they had lost 23-2 to to that same team the day before. But uh, I want to throw this at you, John, because I think it's, it's amazing. The, the opponent OPS against the Orioles this year is 858. And I want to frame that for you because players with career OPSs of worse than 858 are Ryan Howard, Wade Boggs, George Brett, 
Jeff Kent, Al Kaline, Jim Rice, Billy Williams, Tony Gwynn, and Reggie Jackson. So <laughs> this year's Orioles pitchers, on average, face that lineup. I don't know who you'd hit cleanup out of all those guys, <laughs> but I mean, that, when you're, I mean, if every day Brandon Hyde knows he's going up, he's going to run a pitcher out there who's facing Howard, Boggs, Brett, Kent, Kaline, Rice, Billy Williams, Tony Gwynn, and Reggie Jackson. How do you get up in the morning? <laughs> Great stat there, Josh. I didn't, I didn't realize that. that. That is amazing. I, I mean, I guess we can't blame it all on the ballpark and the baseball. I, I think though, and the year, I mean, those are factors, but uh, obviously they have no pitching. And uh, I mean, it was just incredible to see that they were basically a four to one underdog, I believe for that game. Uh, we had not seen that in decades and won that game after the 23 to two loss. Uh, so uh, you know, they occasionally have a surprise up their sleeves, but uh, uh, they have an all-time bad pitching staff. And to me, the, the shocker here is, is that they haven't locked up that number one pick, that Detroit is still battling them uh, to get that number one pick. Uh, it, it's amazing to me. Uh, you know, Baltimore had a strategy going in, which was uh, to play for the future, to not play for this year. And, and uh, that's basically what they're doing. That's what we're that's what we're witnessing. But uh, great stat. I Al Kaline, Reggie Jackson, Wade Boggs, George Brett, those are pretty good players. I, I would think so, too. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me give you a stat you're not going to like, because you've been on the Minnesota Twins as your darling all year. The Twins blew an 11-and-a-half game lead, John. Uh, now, their, their win forecast is still around 99 or 100, and that you've got to go back to the, the 1965 Zoilo Versailles uh, Minnesota Twins for something like that. So, I mean, th- this is still a top-tier team, obviously, but... You've got Byron Buxton and Sam Dyson and Pineda all hitting the injured list over the weekend. So their depth is going to be tested. And Cleveland, 38-16 and 16 since the end of May. That's the best record in baseball. So hats off, Cleveland caught them. Yeah, I mean, the Indians have done a fantastic job, and they've got more pitching coming potentially. Uh, they have great young pitchers. Uh, Bieber has become a star, not only the MVP of the All-Star game, but a star in the regular season, obviously. As well, Clevenger has been incredible. Uh, Jose Ramirez has got it back together. So, I mean, Cleveland, as we know, they're they're a really good team with great pitching. Uh, they were able to trade Bauer without anybody really saying a peep. In fact, Cleveland uh, people applauded that deal. I, and I don't think it's because uh, uh, Bauer was annoying anyone. I think it's just because they feel they have a lot of pitching and they could endure it, and they got a good deal for them. So, uh, everything coming up roses for the Indians right now. Uh, things appear to be headed their way. I'm not going to go against my pick. The Twins were my pick, and I, I'm going to stick with them, but I am a bit concerned, as you can uh, wonder <laughs> why. You can know. Well, you know, you, you get these three homer games from Nelly Cruz. They're going to be fine. And, and speaking of three homer games, and I'm not just trying to bring the Reds into this, but Aristides Aquino? Really? <laughs> and, I mean, it, we got all these three home run games all of a sudden, and, and we know that this is the, the year of the home run, and we, we can kind of segue back into the Twins on that because they've already set their single season home run record, and they did that with 46 games still to go in the season. You've got 14 teams, including the Twins, that probably will break their franchise's home run record this year. Are you tired of talking about that, or is this still a big storyline? Because it's not just the amount of them to me, it's the distance of them. I saw a stat where there have been 140 home runs of at least 450 feet this year. There were 82 of those all of last year. We got 140 of those really long, long balls already. It's the middle of August. 
Right, and Stanton has basically missed the entire year. He, yeah, he should right. be the guy who provided most of those 450, him and Judge. And um, it's amazing. You're seeing guys hit 450 feet. You're seeing uh, utility infielders going out the opposite way. Uh, almost everybody uh, has the potential to hit home runs. Uh, there is something going on this year. I don't think there's any question about that. I know there was more emphasis on home runs, uh, probably because of analytics and the uh, renewed value of the or emphasized value of the home run, but uh, there has to be something going on. It's getting crazy. The Twins are crazy. Aquino was basically a giveaway last year. Now he's hitting the ball out of sight. Uh, it's it's definitely uh, one of the major storylines of this year. Another cool storyline, and we hinted at it. Toronto has got this Sons of Former Big League Stars thing going on now, and that team is really making it interesting for some of the contenders right now. Ross Atkins is the architect of all that. We're going to talk to him on Big Time Baseball. All right, let's bring on Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins, who's in his fourth year as Toronto's GM, spent all that time in Cleveland, too. And fascinating team right now. Toronto's 9-5 and five as of this recording since the debut of Bo Bichette, winning record against the Yankees and Rays at 4-3 and three in that stretch. So, uh, as we look for an overall perspective on how this modified rebuild is going, Ross, the early returns are you guys are uh, making it very tough for some big boys in the AL East right now. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Even games that we're not coming out on the winning side of have been very, very good for the last couple of months. We've been close and late game, uh, that that makes for some ex- ex- exciting environment given the teams that we're playing. But, man, it's been very good energy. I mean, clubhouse feels incredible. And, and day in and day out, we're, we're competing. And that's a very good sign for our future. Yeah, Russ, it's John Heyman here. It seems like you have great positional talent, uh, now most of it there. Uh, obviously, Bo Bichette has been fantastic. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero is showing signs. Um, and you've got on the way uh, Griffin Conine and, of course, Kevin Biggio there as well. Um, how do you feel about your positional strength? And is there some kind of a strategy to getting the sons of great players, or is that just happenstance? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think there's certainly value to that. I think players that grow up in this environment uh, are certainly not awestruck when they get here. I think one of the things that could happen is the potential of a player that grew up in a major league clubhouse is that feeling some level of entitlement, zero of that in the names that you mentioned, uh, the competitiveness, the professionalism, the work ethic, uh, they took away the best possible traits of their fathers. And they, uh, they had a vision, they had the windshield, they saw it in front of them and they worked exceptionally hard. They're going to continue to, and they're going to continue to do it for a long time for this city and this country. And, really is motivating to think about. Ross, we're a week or two past the trade deadline. couple things on that for you, if you don't mind. First of all, with, with the new world order here, the, the new timing, how did that go for you? Do you think it's going to continue that way? And also, we heard this stuff about the exit interview, so to speak, with Stroman not going so great. Can, can you shed some light on that? I mean, I know Marcus said all the right things on his way out when it was all said and done, and so did you guys. But what was all that? And take me through the whole trade deadline thing, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, we'll be interesting on the trade deadline front to see, uh, you know, we get together as a group of GMs. I've had a lot of discussions with GMs with the rule change. And, you know, it is it is certainly different. Um, I think we were uh, united and nearly unanimous when talking about these changes. I think one of the biggest differences that 
you're already seeing it start to play out is that now because trades can no longer occur, there will be players that are placed on waivers. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll, we'll get together and talk about their small adjustments, I'm sure. And major league baseball does an incredible job of, of continuing to evolve. Uh, and on, on the Marcus Stroman front, Man, I have nothing but great things to say, and I will be pulling for him. You know, hope that he goes on to have an incredible career, and now, now with a contending team. Oh, just to follow a little bit on Strowman, I, I heard he reacted kind of strongly when he was told that he was going to the Mets. I don't know if that's the reason or not. I know it sounds like you were trying to keep him apprised of what was going on and did your best there, and I guess he felt uh, at some point that it might be the Yankees or the Astros or the Red Sox. And maybe he was surprised, even though he was going to his hometown team. Uh, do you think that's what went on there? What, was he upset initially that he was going to the Mets? And also there's been some controversy over how much discussion there was about uh, negotiation, an extension. Uh, he says there was nothing. I, I, I sense that there was something going on, but I'm not sure how much. Can you shed a little light on that? You know, I've... I've uh said everything I'm going to say on those fronts. And I, again, like I, I am pulling for Marcus Stroman to do well. I, I can say this. Marcus was here for a long time, and this was a big part of his life. And again, I, I want nothing but the best for him. I'm very excited for him being in a contending environment right now. And, and I wish we were in a contending environment. I think that's one of the things that gets lost. There's, uh, there's nothing fun about trading a great player. There's nothing fun about that. We would always prefer to be in the buying mode, the way that the game is built and for us to be, uh, to build something sustainable, we have to make those tough decisions to create as much depth and layers of, of players coming through the system uh, that, that we potentially can. And that, that's not just about having a good farm system. Uh, it's, it's a very, very, very difficult situation for, for fans, for sure to have to see someone like Marcus Stroman leave the organization. It's hard for us. The one thing that I think, you know, we have that we're privy to is we have so much more information on the players that we acquired. Uh, we, we spent so much time on it that it does, you know, give us some confidence that these are the best decisions. But we, again, we don't expect that to be easy for fans to accept. Ross Atkins visiting with us, Toronto's GM. And the unique thing about Toronto, obviously, Ross, and you knew this before you took the gig, is because there's you know, just there, there's a difference. When, you, when you're a free agent looking at teams, you're looking at, you already know, there, there's an issue with, uh, with the travel. There's an issue with your, your acclimating. I know it's not going to Botswana or Fiji or something. It's just Canada. But the, it's an issue. you got to get your passport right. you got to be used to to a whole lot of different things that, that come down. So when you guys look at free agency, do you have to, to approach it like, okay, we've got to really sell. We've got to really make it worth somebody's while and even overpay. Or is that something that was maybe 10, 20 years ago and now everybody's used to Toronto being a great city and it's no big deal? Yeah, I mean, I think there is some of the unknown, just the fact that we're one of the only, well, or excuse me, we are the only team in another country. Having said that, this is a remarkable city and remarkable place to, to live, to play. The energy is incredible. And the city compared to 20 years ago is very different. Ultimately, what, what will matter is us being a winning team. And that will be the most attractive things for free agents. And this is a good start, seeing this very competitive core. I think every manager, every coach from the other team is 
the first thing that they're commenting on is this young group of players and how much they enjoy playing, how hard they play, just not backing down from challenges. And it's clear to watch our team how united they are and how together they are. They're, they're really playing, playing good baseball right now. Russ, one thing I noticed from a distance about Toronto is it, it's a tough town. People don't realize how tough it is. People talk about Philadelphia, New York, and Boston. But, you know, I've been reading a lot of the uh, dispatches that came out after the deadline or some before the deadline. There was one I read that I thought was very tough on you and Mark. And then the comments below were even tougher. They were suggesting that the the writer was too soft on you. Um, have you been surprised about the reaction? I know at one point you pointed out that uh, you gave up uh, seven years of control players to get something like 42. And that, that's been kind of a, a comment that got a lot of criticism. Do you have any, seems logical to me, but did, did you have any regrets about saying that? And what do you think about the city of Toronto? It seems, it seems rough from a distance. You know what? I, I love it. I, I love it here. I love my family loves it here. I completely understand that 15 and 16 were remarkable. And in 17 and 18, we just had too many injuries. So we weren't as aggressive this year in free agency. And it's been a very, very tough first half. But as I said, since June 20th, uh, we've, we've played really good baseball that is going to be here for a long time. And, you know, in time, when this, when this organization is winning championships, the names that we're seeing on a daily basis right now are the more household names in the country of Canada. Uh, that, that is going to be very fun and very exciting for fans and ultimately very fulfilling. So, you know, I, I get the pressure. I understand the, uh, the criticism and, you know, just, you know, understand that that's coming from ultimately the passion for this team. Ross, you've done a great job there, buddy. Continue the good work. Bichette with this double streak and uh, Vladimir Guerrero getting a standing ovation for hitting into a double play the other day because of the great at bat that he put on against Chapman. A lot of fun, uh, a lot of charisma uh, out of that Toronto team right now. You're to be congratulated and thanks so much for your time. All right, Josh. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Ross. Appreciate it. Very cool. Very cool of Ross Atkins to join. Let's talk Mets. Let's talk the surging Mets next. All right, shifting over to the National League East from the American League East. The Mets obviously have been the big-time story the last couple of weeks. They've mixed in an eight-game win streak and a seven-game win streak, and they're just going bonkers for the Mets in New York all of a sudden. So let's go behind the scenes. My good buddy Wayne Randazzo, who I used to work with on the Mets radio broadcast, I I picked the, the wrong year to leave, it looks like, Wayne. It's like when in fast times, when Arnold picks a hell of a time for a piss. Uh, <laughs> this is a, a, an incredible, incredible run that the Mets are on. And I'm just curious about your take in terms of if it's sustainable or anything close. Well, yeah, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a sustainable thing here for them because they've got a lot of the pieces in place that, that make competitive teams stay competitive. They, they've got the great starting pitching, which shouldn't go anywhere anytime soon. They've got a, a good offense that I think that, you know, there's some parts that were missing early in the season, some consistency from Michael Conforto, which he's long battled with, and, and Ahmed Rosario is still, I think, in some ways developing at the major league level. And, you know, those guys have come around here lately. You know, Wilson Ramos kind of had a slow start to the year. Now he's got the most RBIs of any catcher in baseball. So I think some of the guys, some of the peripheral guys around Alonzo and McNeil were struggling, and now they're not. And on top of that, 
you know, the bullpen's healthy. The returns of Justin Wilson and, and Luis Avalon have helped a lot. Seth Lugo's been an anchor down there. And I think still, you know, the two guys that really need to pick it up, we saw one of them pitch really well yesterday. Jerry's Familia was great on Sunday afternoon against uh, against the, the Nationals. And then Edwin Diaz wasn't. He gave up another home run. He's given up a lot lately. He's given up 11 all for the season, which is as many as Marcus Stroman has given up. And, and Stroman's pitched 100 more innings. So it's uh, they got to get Diaz going. they got to get Familia going. If they do, then I, I think this team can easily stay atop the wild card standing. Hey, Wayne, John Heyman here. I, I want to ask you, for those of us and those of us fools who wrote them off a month ago, uh, obviously mistakenly, how do you think this happened? Is there one or two things that you could point to that were the impetus behind this? I mean, I can't imagine it's the chair throwing it. Is the, is the coaches changing? Is it guys just realizing, you know what, this team is better than it should uh, that it's performing, what would you point to as the the line of demarcation here? Well, I think, uh, honestly, the, the biggest thing was a fortuitous schedule that they happened to have the Marlins, Pirates, White Sox, Padres, all at once, all as those teams were not doing well, and they took advantage of it. So, you know, if they come out of the All-Star break facing the Yankees and the Cubs and the Braves, this probably doesn't happen. Now, that's not to say that it won't continue to go well for this team, because I think it still can, facing better competition. We just saw them take two out of three from Washington. But I think that was really a launching point for them, just to, to face some teams that, that they were clearly better than at times where they were starting to play better, they were starting to get healthier, and those teams were going in the wrong direction. The White Sox Pirates especially came out of the break terribly. So I think that all helped. And I also think Phil Regan, as you talked about the coaching change, I think Phil Regan's had a very positive impact on the pitching staff. You know, he's, he's really wrapped his arms around some of the new age technology. He, he loves working with TrackMan and, and some of the high-speed cameras and the bullpen so that he can show the pitchers their grips. You know, essentially in real time, they are fixing these things from one pitch to the next while these relievers are and the starters are taking their bullpen sessions, and, and Phil's been a big part of that. And I think that the pitchers have really uh, really responded to him nicely. You know, Wayne, if, if you roll the clock all the way back to spring training, I think a lot of Mets fans would have said, okay, we love Brandon Nimmo. He's going to be a big part of this. We're hoping to get Cespedes back at some point. Well, now we know Nimmo's been hurt all year. Cespedes is, I mean, who knows if he ever comes back as a Met and does anything. Yet... Other guys, I mean, whether it's a J.D. Davis from out of nowhere and certainly Pete Alonso, who should very easily get top two rookie of the year voting, if not win the whole thing. Uh, is that gratifying, seeing these kind of from nowhere guys come and carry the mail like this? Yeah, yeah I think that it was, it was nice to see a lot of guys from within the organization. I mean, you look at their lineup on, on most days now, and it's McNeil, Rosario, Conforto, Alonso, one, two, three, four. And those are all homegrown guys. And I think that the fan base especially, you know, has really enjoyed the fact that their players coming from their system are contributing in such a positive way. Uh, they still miss a guy like Brandon Nimmo or Tom Smith's been hurt. Um, you know, Jet Lowry is off on some other planet, we think. We're, we're not even really sure where he is. But, you know, <laughs> they are missing that one more bat, especially a left-handed bat. And I think if Nimmo can come back, or Dom can come back. I think Nimmo's a little bit closer right now. That should help round out the roster because it's still a little thin on the bench. But, you know, I think overall the way that Alonso has just 
rip the ball from from start to right now with 38 home runs. The way McNeil has been the top of the batting leaders all season. I mean, these two guys have steadily led this team, and here they are in their first and, and second years in the major leagues. And, and yet, I think that you know they are really the the nucleus of what's happened here. Wayne, help me figure out what happened at the trade deadline. With a week to go, I was told that this team was going to be a seller. Well, then they got Stroman, and okay, they felt they got a good deal on Stroman. He's a local guy. We still thought that Wheeler was going to go. I never really believed Syndergaard was going to go. But how do you go back and look at this piece by piece? Were they intending to trade Wheeler? Uh, Did they just set too high a price? Did they change their mind somewhere in between? the middle there or what, what do you think happened with Wheeler and Syndergaard? And they obviously made the right calls, but how did, how did they come to be? Well, yeah, they just started, they just started getting going and started playing a lot better. And, you know, I think that they were intending to trade Wheeler, which is why they got Marcus Stroman because Stroman is a guy who's under contract for 2020. You know, Brody doesn't seem like he's really interested in hanging on to, to prospects, especially guys that he inherited and didn't draft. So, you know, you felt Anthony Kay, after having a great start to the year at AA and then struggling at AAA once he got a hold of the, of the new baseball at AAA, uh, he couldn't throw a slider much anymore. And, you know, Simeon Woods Richardson has is, is got a great arm, but he's really young. He's only, I think he's only still 19 years old. So, you know, they felt like they could live without those two guys and go after a, a starting pitcher for next year that was under contract already in Marcus Stroman. Um, so that's why they wanted to do that. I think was just to, to give themselves some base without Zach Wheeler because you know it's it's highly likely Wheeler even now is going to sign somewhere else in the off season. So that was for the Stroman deal. But as far as not trading Wheeler, you know I think Brody uh, kind of went went against the grain a little bit in the sense that he wasn't just going to give Zach Wheeler away. You know Zach Wheeler's a valuable pitcher. He's a guy who can certainly help them in the last two months of the season. But I think often we see players that are approaching free agency get traded around the trade deadline and for nothing. I mean, look at Jason Vargas. He got traded to the Phillies for a a double-A catcher who was hitting 180. So, you know, you gave him away, basically, just to get rid of his salary or whatever. And in Wheeler's case, they didn't want to do that. They didn't feel like they should do that. And, you know, I I think maybe more teams should think that way. Why Why do you just give away your players for some guy who's a, who's a minor leaguer who, you know, might never be anything more than just uh, an average minor league player? So I think that maybe there was a higher price set, and I think it was probably a smart thing from the Mets because now they can just get two months of Zach Wheeler instead of, you know, two or three or four years of some guy who's never going to see the major league. The Dazzler, Wayne Randazzo, spending time with us and a dazzling push here from the Mets right in this wild card thing. A continued uh, great luck to you guys, Wayne, and and great sound. You and Howie are knocking it out of the park as as always and still a wonderful list and wonderful to catch up with you. And uh, let's go Mets. All right, Josh, we miss you a lot. John, good to talk to you. Cool. Thank you, Wayno. Appreciate it very much. I, I was going to say, see you tomorrow, Wayne, but I didn't think that would go over real well. <laughs> no, That's a, very <laughs> a little too inside. <laughs> Are we seeing you tomorrow? Yeah. No, we're not, but I just, you know, you know how that goes over with Mickey, so I, I didn't, <laughs> didn't really want to go there. All right. Uh, that's Wayne Randazzo. We've got John Heyman in our final segment, wrapping things up in just a sec. Well, let's wrap things up. We'll break down the latest across the Major League Baseball landscape with John Heyman, one of the game's primo insiders. We go around the diamond, having just learned, by the way, that opening day next year is March 26th. 
seems awfully early to me. But uh, it's never too early to start talking about who's going to not be managing the following season. Because here we are in the middle of August, and, and no axes have, have dropped yet this year, which is kind of weird. Joe Madden, we heard his name starting in March. Is he okay? Is he going to be the guy going forward? And he came out uh, this past weekend, John, says he really does not expect to be on the move after this season. Is he right? Yeah, let's talk about all the managers that are potentially on the hot seat. And we've got a long list of them this year. Uh, it could be a record, even though we haven't had any to this point. Uh, Joe Madden, a very positive guy. I don't blame him for saying that. In fact, I expect it. Uh, he should be positive. Uh, that's him. Uh, I think it just comes from natural uh, positivity. Uh, but I do think that uh, the potential is there that the Cubs could make a change. And uh, not because he's done a bad job, nothing to do with the wins and losses, as he said. But, uh, you know, the trend has been to go young, uh, to go for former players, uh, to get somebody to be a get-along guy with the front office. And uh, obviously many of those picks have worked. Uh, obviously, notably Aaron Boone, but several others have worked. So Joe Madden came in here as a lame duck. I know he's considering it a free agent, but to me, he's a lame duck. So I still wouldn't be shocked if they did make a change. Uh, if they do, uh, the names I would expect to be in the mix would be Mark Loretta, perhaps Mark DeRosa, who I work with at MLB Network, although I think he likes it very much at MLB Network for now. And, of course, Joe Girardi, who was a Cub. He's from Peoria, a Northwestern guy. Uh, that wouldn't shock anyone either. All right, let's do a little lightning round here. Let's go whipping around, and I'm just going to ask you straight out who's – going to be back, not going to be back. Uh, and not too long ago, I would have led with Mickey Calloway here, thinking that he's <laughs> he gone. Uh, but w what do you think? Yeah, we, we've mentioned him every week. And uh, right now, it looks pretty good for him to come back. Certainly, if they make the playoffs, uh, he'll be back. He's got a year to go. Uh, if they don't, I, I still think he has a decent chance to be back at this point. It's been quite a turnaround. I know he's got the uh, uh, support of the front office. If he doesn't, I think, as we've said before, Robin Ventura could be a candidate. But uh, I think things are trending, obviously, positively for Callaway. Philadelphia, Gabe Kapler. Yeah, they said that he was going to be safe through the year. To me, that's uh, maybe a, a, a kiss of death a little bit because that kind of suggests, well, what happens after the year. So uh, I, I think they're going to have to hustle. And uh, Kapler has got a year to go in his contract. But, uh, yeah, I, I would be renting if I were him, not buying one job we know is open is in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Who's going to be the post-Boach? Very good question. I would have thought Mullins or Wotus, who was terrific there as a coach for legendary managers, for three managers he's been there. But, you know, all bets are off at this point. They have a new regime there. It could be anybody. I still think those two could be in the mix. I saw Bob Nightingale mention Kapler. He obviously has a connection. He may lose his job, but I'll be surprised at that one. All right. What about a guy like Clint Hurdle, who is, a, I mean, to me, is a great guy, great manager, but people always wonder, does he have a shelf life in Pittsburgh? What are the Buckos going to do? Yeah, he's been there a long time. Overall, done a terrific job. Uh, they, they've been a losing team forever before he got there, got them in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, he may still have some goodwill from that. But obviously, this year has been quite a disappointment. They were in the race at one time. They are like 30-plus games under 500 against teams that are over 500. Uh, that's not good. I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was a change there. 
How about Seattle? Scott got service okay? Yeah, you know what? I think he's going to make it. I, I know that uh, some of the players uh, really are not big fans of his. I know that uh, someone they've left have gone in and said something, but I think he and uh, Jerry DePoto are very close and have a very close relationship. So as long as DePoto's there, I think service probably will stay. How about Kansas City? Is, is Ned Yost toast? <laughs> um I, I think that uh, he will retire after the year. Whether he has to be talked into it or not, I'm not sure. Mike Matheny is there uh, working for them, and I think he's the logical replacement. All right. Uh, what about Mattingly in Miami? You know, I, he's a lame duck uh, like Joe Madden, and uh, he was not the original pick. He obviously has a long-term ties with Jeter. Uh, it feels like they may make some changes there, and uh, I think that Mattingly uh, – probably will not be back. I wouldn't swear to it. If he's not, Trey Hillman, who's on their coaching staff, could be a candidate. Uh, I could see Mattingly a candidate elsewhere, though. Uh, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't write him off as a manager, but uh, he isn't in the last year, so I would say we're trending toward a, a change. How about, and this is a fascinating one to me, what about Andy Green in San Diego? Because the Padres are setting up to really start gunning the engine in 2020. Are they convinced that Green's their guy? Yeah, I'm not sure. I know they like him very much, uh, but, you know, I, I'm not convinced. I think they felt that they'd do a little bit better this year. Obviously, Tatis has become a big star. Uh, they look like a better team. They certainly have incredible prospects coming. They should be a really good team fairly soon. Uh, you know, I, that one could go either way. Okay. Uh, what about Bud Black in Colorado since they've had such a rotten year? Yeah, I, I think he'll make it. They made the playoffs the last two years. Obviously, you're right. It's been rotten, unexpected. The pitching has not been what you think. I, I think he'll survive. And I have to ask you about the Washington situation. I mean, obviously, if the Nationals finally win or at least win a little bit in October, I, w I would think that saves Davey Martinez, right? We're not going to do Dusty Baker all over again, right? Yeah, I think so. I think they realize that uh, they might have acted a little hastily, at least they hope they do, uh, with Dusty. So uh, I think if he gets in, uh, he, he makes it. If they don't, if he doesn't get in, I, I don't think he does. So I think that just depends on how they finish here. Have I forgotten anybody in managerial lightning round here? Uh, well, you know, I would say a couple long shots. Uh, I would consider would be Ron Gardenhire with Detroit. I think he makes it, though. And, uh, you know, I think Brad Osmus, he's only the first year with the Angels. Uh, they've had a lot of uh, injuries, and obviously they had a tragedy, very sad situation there with, with Tyler Skaggs. And I, I think he makes it, but, I, you know, I'm, you hear whispers a little bit from outside, not from in that organization, so I don't know. So that would that would be 13 right now. That's a lot of guys who are on the hot or lukewarm or semi-warm seat, uh, and some something to look at for the offseason. Wow. All right, and, and we'll start having some fun this week looking at the, the schedules for 2020, which are out now. I just was looking at the Red Sox, since that's the team that I'm following. And they're in Toronto on March 26th, so I, I'm assuming the Dome is closed on March 26th in <laughs> Toronto. But we only have to, to look forward for a, a few more days till our next podcast possibility. We do this every week. So, John, looking forward to it, buddy. Thank you very much, and have yourself a wonderful week until we do it again. You too, Josh. Great talking to you. Appreciate it, John. And thanks to our guests as well, Wayne Randazzo and Ross Atkins. This is Josh Lewin. This is Big Time Baseball, part of Radio.com. And thanks very much to Mercedes-Benz A-Class as well. They put their name on it for us, and we appreciate that very much. Appreciate you. Hope you are not just downloading, but subscribing and telling your friends all about it. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. 
This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.